thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. Uh, Something we're doing over the next year or two is every Friday uploading an old sermon to the podcast. We have about a year and a half worth of recorded sermons that were preached before we had a podcast, so we want to archive those onto the podcast. So every Friday, enjoy one of our old sermons. These will be uploaded until such time as we have them all archived. So enjoy this sermon um, from the past. And they screwed it up. They screwed it up somehow. Um, So here's some examples of them. Let's go to school. Okay, I would prefer my toilet seat, my toilet lid, like above the toilet seat, but that's that's what they thought. Turn, turn, yeah, I don't... It's a t-shirt of Africa, but it's labeled Asia. It's Nald's McDough. Let's go there. Nald's McDough. One, two, three, five, four, six, one, seven, eight, nine. And then they filled a watermelon thing full of pineapples. These were simple jobs. They were simple jobs that people were given, and they screwed them up majorly. Um, You don't have to read the New Testament very long to see that Jesus left the church one job. He left the church one job. And as a church, we can be doing a lot of great things. We can be having a lot of fun together. But if we are neglecting that one job, Jesus left us. It will only be a matter of time before we are nothing more than a joke on the Internet. So let's look at that one job Jesus left us today. Matthew 28, we'll start in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is called the Great Commission. Your your Bible may have a little subheading above it that says the Great Commission. And I don't know about you, but when I read this, I get pretty overwhelmed. Like, how in the world am I supposed to fulfill that? Reach every nation and make disciples? Well, two things. First of all, um, our church is not responsible for reaching every person of the world. It's the thing of when every church works together, this commission will be fulfilled. So we have the responsibility to play our part in the job. We have to play our part. And secondly, the commission isn't commanded to us to do in our own power. Jesus starts it by saying, all authority in heaven and earth is mine. Everything is mine. Jesus says all authority is mine. It's not our authority that we're doing this by. It's Jesus' authority. The power of Jesus is our strength to carry out the Great Commission. All of us were desperately in need of help because we're sinners. We have not measured up to God's glory. We left to ourselves. We were were headed for judgment for all eternity and separated from God. But Jesus took our place. He died place. And then he rose from the dead. The the one enemy that takes every single one of us, death, 
Jesus overcame him. Death has no power over him. Now anyone and everyone can receive that victory of Jesus by believing that message. So now, because of that, all authority has been given to Jesus. There was a sense in which He was king before the cross, but there's a new sense in which He's king after the cross. He's overcome all evil in the cross. Everything belongs to Him. Nothing happens in the world that takes Him by surprise. He saw it all coming. He knows the future. He knows people are going to receive the gospel, so He gives us the command to take it out. Because he knows people are going to receive it. So what is this commission? Well, first of all, it's make disciples. Look at that verse 19. Therefore, and make disciples. It's not make converts. Sometimes that's how we present it. Just make converts. Just We're not trying to just get people to pray a prayer and then we clap our hands and send them home and never talk to them again. That's, that's not how it works. That's not making disciples. We want people to come to Christ, but that's not the end. That is the beginning. We baptize them. Baptism re represents that first step in the journey of discipleship. And it's the announcement to the world that I've decided to follow Jesus. But then Jesus emphasizes something further there in the commission. Teach them all that I have commanded you. At the end of verse, beginning of verse 20. Teach them everything I've commanded you. Now, if you're reading the Gospel of Matthew, and that's how the Gospel closes, um, you've got to understand that what Jesus is saying there is referring to everything else in Matthew. Everything He's done in Matthew with the disciples. When Jesus says, make disciples, it's reflective of how He has made disciples. Jesus called His disciples in chapter 4 of Matthew, and then chapters 5 through 27, He's making disciples out of them. He's, he's, he's forming them as disciples of Him. So He taught them about the Scriptures. He lived life with them. He walked to and from cities with them. He did ministry and let them observe Him. And then He sent them out on their own mission trip to cast out demons and heal the sick. He challenged their faith on more than one occasion. He called them to higher obedience. He warned them of what was coming in the future. He prayed for them regularly. At one point, He was so burdened for them as He prayed that He was sweating drops of blood. And at the climax of it all, He lays down His life for them. This was so much more than getting them to simply pray a prayer. He was calling them to, into a life of following Him, a lifetime commitment. That's a question for you. Have you simply prayed a prayer to become a Christian? Or have you made a lifetime commitment to follow Jesus that's, that's transformed your life? Because there's a difference. Sometimes people will differentiate. Well, some people are Christians and other people are disciples. Christians are just the people that come to church and have prayed a prayer. And yeah, they're going to heaven when they die. Disciples are the ones that are sold out. They're the, they're the super Christians. But understand, the Bible doesn't make differentiation. You're either a sold out follower of Jesus or you're, you're not saved according to the Bible. So the commission today carries out in two ways. As we, He gave this before He ascended to heaven, but it's still happening today. Today it carries out in two ways, evangelism and discipleship. Evangelism, Jesus says, go make disciples. Go do it. Not sit in here and wait for them to come in the door. We don't do that with any other thing in life. 
Like none of you farmers out there get up in the morning and sit down on the couch next to your wife and say, you know, I don't think I'm going to go work the field today. No, I think actually the, the, the vegetables are going to pluck themselves off of the vine and they're going to roll across the field and they're going to come in my front door and they're going to separate into baskets all on their own. So you have the potatoes go here and the carrots here and the tomatoes here. We don't do that with farming. Why do we do that with church? Because we just kind of kick back and expect that lost people are going to come in the door and they rarely are. That they rarely are. We have to go to them to reach them. We have to go out to the fields and we have to pluck the vegetables off the vine. We share the gospel with them. They respond. They are saved. And then we baptize them. And it's only just begun. Because then the second part of the commission is discipleship. Making disciples out of them. We teach them everything Jesus commanded. We model for them what it looks like to follow Christ. We we do what Jesus did with his twelves. We teach them about the Lord and the Bible. We pray for them regularly. We mentor them. We take them out to do ministry. We warn them of things to come. We challenge them to go deeper in their faith. We confront them in sin in their lives and then call for them to repent. Evangelism happens outside of the church mostly. We, we have to go to the lost. Discipleship happens a lot inside the church, but it's not limited to inside the church. It may happen in your home. It may happen in a coffee shop or a restaurant. It may happen at work on your lunch break. I was greatly discipled by my campus minister in college. His name is Tommy Johnson. Um, Tommy did a great deal of the discipleship in a group that he called a discipleship group. Um, It's a group of three or four guys. It was four in our case. And um, we met weekly. We had Bible study. We prayed together. And we shared what's going on in our lives, what's going really well in our lives, and what are we struggling with. And then Tommy would help us through those things. But he discipled me outside of that as well. So if I had a burden, I'd go to his office. He'd shut the door. He'd quit what he was doing. He'd come over and sit in a chair and just talk with me. We'd go out to lunch. He went on a mission trip with me one time, and I just got to interact with him a lot there. One time, he asked me to ride with him on, on a two-hour car ride to go and pick up a bookshelf and drive back. So we just had to have a conversation for four hours in a car. Uh, I wouldn't be who I am today as a Christian had it not been for Tommy Johnson discipling me. You identify one person in your life, you can pray for the gospel, there's somebody in your life who can.
different people group and a much different culture than most of us. We're going to have to understand who they are if we want to reach them. I've been your pastor for six months now. It's, it's crazy it's been that long. I preached my first sermon here six months ago yesterday. And I've been trying to meet with each of you for the first year. I've been trying to, to either have lunch with you or come to your home or have you over at our house. Um, I haven't gotten to all of you yet, but I'm, but I'm still working through that list. Many of you, I've asked the same question. I've asked you, what do you think is the biggest need of our church that I should go after? What's the biggest need? And I believe every single person I've asked that has answered the same thing. Young people. People in their 20s, people 18 to 35. We've got a few people in that age group, but not enough. We have a few, but it's not enough to fill the gap of the older generation when they're gone. We've got to reach young people. They are a different culture than, than most of us. Yeah, they live in America. Yeah, they speak English. Yeah, their currency is the dollar, and they enjoy pizza and fried chicken like we do. But they are a different culture than many of us are. First, who are they? I'm going to share a lot of information right now about generations, um, about the different generations in America. These are generalizations, okay? So if, if I'm talking about your generation and I say something that's not true of you, these are just generalizations. These aren't true of every person in that generation, Sociologists have studied culture, and these are the things that fit the majority of people in each generation in America. There are six of them, six living generations in America. The oldest generation is called the GI generation. They were born from 1901 to 1926. These people are children of World War I and the Great Depression. They are assertive and energetic doers. They're team players, they're community-minded, they have a strong emphasis on morality and right and wrong. They believe marriage is for life and they look down on divorce and children born out of wedlock. There's, they don't believe in retirement. You work until you die or you can't work anymore, in their view. <coughs> Regarding what you own, you either use it, you fix it, you make it do, or you do without it. They remember life without airplanes, radios, and television. Most of them grew up without refrigerators, electricity, or air conditioning. As of 2017, there were 2.5 million GI generations still living. The youngest of them today would be 93 years old. Next is the mature, it's called different things, either mature generation or the silent generation. These people were born between 1927 and 1945. They lived in the Vietnam War. 
they were a pre-feminism age where most women stayed at home. If they did have a job, it was as a teacher, a nurse, or a secretary. They were the first ones to hear the drumbeat of civil rights in America. They're avid readers, especially of the newspaper. They are disciplined, self-sacrificing, and cautious. Retirement for them meant sitting in your rocking chair and enjoying the fi final years of your life in peace. As of 2017, there were 25.6 million of these alive. Today, they, they would be ages 74 to 92. Next is the baby boomer generation. They were born 1946 to 1964. They're called the baby boomers for a reason. There's a lot of them. A lot of them came home from war and children were born. They are the generation of rock and roll. They believe you buy it now and use credit. Women in this generation began to work outside the home heavily. They are the first television generation. They are optimistic, they're driven, they're team-oriented. They're the first generation where divorce became tolerated. They had an early acceptance of homosexuality, not to the extent that it is today, but it started to happen then. They tend to have a positive view of authority, so the president, the police force, various things like that. They tend to have a positive view of tradition. Retirement for them was enjoying life after the kids were gone from home, like skydiving and exercise and hobbies and traveling. As of 2017, there were 73.4 million baby boomers. They range between 55 to 73. Next is Generation X. They were born 1965 to 1980. A lot of these kids grew up with divorced or career-driven parents. They are very individualistic. They average seven career changes in their life. Many of them are deeply in credit card debt. They are often late to marry. They often live with their partner before marriage. Many of them were quick to divorce, so many of them became single parents. They often feel misunderstood by other generations. When they were in school, drugs were pretty prevalent. They watched many more movies than the previous generation. They are self-reliant. They are often unimpressed with authority. They are skeptical and cautious. As of 2017, there were 65.7 million of them. They age between 39 and 54. I told you about all these generations because I want you to see, I want you to have in the back of your mind who came before the young people and how much different the young people are from those generations. Now the young person generations. The first is the generation Y or the millennials as they've been called. They were born 1981 to 1996. Now the term millennial is often used as a cuss word to talk about those lazy young kids that are always on their cell phone. There's so much more millennials than that. I'm a millennial. These aren't as young of people as you think. The oldest millennial is 38 years old. We're, we're something like a transition generation from generation from the olden days to, to the future. We're kind of the bridge that the two meet at. I remember a world without cell phones as a millennial. I remember that. Come home when me and my parents had been out eating dinner, and I would come to the answering machine and push the button because I wanted to know who to call us. If you had a cell phone back then, you put it in your car. It was only for emergencies. You could send text 
messages that you only had 120 of them. That's the ones that you sent and the ones you received. So, so if I text Howard and he texts me back, that's two messages. Some of you parents would put really
routine in their own neighborhood. And they're also more accepting and inclusive of other races and previous generations of work. By 2020, it's estimated that more than half of all U.S. children will be part of the minority ethnic will be part of the minority ethnic group. One thing is sexually fluid. Sexuality is completely different than the current.